Welcome to CII Radio. I'm Luke Holloway, editor of The Journal. In this episode, I'll be talking to James Daly and Melissa Collett. In this episode of the podcast, we're talking about the importance of professional standards in the insurance and financial services, treating customers fairly and addressing misconduct. We're joined by James Daly, Managing Director at Fairer Finance, and Melissa Collett, Professional Standards Director at the Chartered Insurance Institute. Here's my conversation with James and Melissa. Hello, James, and hello, Melissa, and thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Hello. Hi, Luke. Hi, both of you, and uh, very pleased to have you with us. So thanks for talking to us today. Melissa, um, if we could start with you, when we talk about professional standards and misconduct in the insurance and financial services profession, uh, what do we mean and how closely are the two of those linked? Yeah, so professional standards means standards of conduct and behavior that you can expect from a qualified professional. So it doesn't matter whether they work in insurance or personal finance or any other profession for that matter, because in common with other professions, the CII has a code of ethics, which we expect professionals to abide by. And this is very closely aligned to the FCA's conduct rules, which means when someone is in breach of a regulatory conduct uh, rule, chances are they're in breach of our code of ethics, too. Absolutely. And James, can you tell us um, about the role of fairer finance and what part they play in making sure professional standards are upheld and that consumers are protected? Yeah, well, um, we publish ratings, two types of ratings, uh, our customer experience ratings, which are a combination of customer polling, ombudsman uphold rates, uh, and also our own mystery shopping of the clarity of information given to customers when they're buying products direct. Um, and then the other ratings are kind of product ratings about the comprehensiveness of cover levels um, and, and the scale of excesses and fees and charges attached to policies. And, you know, w- w- built into both of those ratings is is really a drive, a, a bit of pressure on firms to, to be as good as they can be. And that was always the sort of thinking when we created them. You know, we wanted to help customers understand who was delivering a good customer experience in customers' eyes, but also kind of shine the light from another angle on firms and say, well, actually, how often are you getting it right in the ombudsman's eyes? And actually, how often are you telling the customers the things that we know they don't understand when they tend to buy these kinds of products? And, you know, those customers that do well in our tables as a result are those ones who are, uh, you know, holding and um, embedding high levels of professional standards within their organizations. And, um, you know, some of the things we look at in our transparency analysis, for example, are the reading age of terms and conditions and the length and the way they're designed and what's the font size. There's nobody else looking at that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, and, and so by having that in our ratings, it makes them, you know, think, OK, actually, to, to be, you know, to be professional here and ensure our customers really understand what they're buying uh, and to be recognized by an independent body like Ferro Finance is doing so, um, we do need to pay attention to some of these things. So that's the role we try and play in it, as well as then kind of publicly calling out bad practice in the press and, and sort of trying to shape the debate around what good looks like. Excellent. That's that's great to hear that that work's being done and that sounds very valuable for for 
both consumers and for firms themselves as well. Melissa, how does the Chartered Insurance Institute um, and also the Personal Finance Society work with professionals and firms to ensure professional standards are upheld? Yes, there's there's a lot of similarities, actually, between what um, Fair Finance does and what CII does, although probably few people would see it that way. But if you think about uh, the chartered status and the chartered badge that the CII gives to firms, um, that's like a kite mark. And I know Fair Finance has its own set of kite marks uh, when firms uh, meet certain uh, criteria or achieve certain ratings. And uh, our chartered award is based on firms meeting certain criteria, having high standards of professional training for staff, staff having uh, levels of qualifications and this going right up to board level and having values and uh business practices that align with the CII's code of ethics, amongst other things. So, so there is some um, similarity there. And I think, you know, we're, we're, we're both what we're trying to achieve is trying to raise the level, the level of standards in the, in the market uh, by calling out those firms that achieve higher standards than others. So, the other thing that James mentioned was about the press. And again, the CII does offer quotes and, and its thought leadership in the industry press and the national press and in, and in our publications all around topics that touch on our firms uh, where we feel it's important to express uh, an opinion in what we would consider to be the public interest because the CII's purpose is to build public trust and insurance. We have a public interest at our heart. Now, in terms of how we work with individual professionals, so that's what my remarks were earlier were focused more on firms. When it comes to individual professionals, uh, we have a, a plethora of materials and guidance that we can offer individuals who want to uh, have a deeper understanding of an ethical approach. So we have our online code of ethics course, online uh, practical guide, examples of how to approach ethical dilemmas at work, a whole series of companion guides on ethical issues from digital ethics to transparency. And and again, James touched on that earlier about how um, they look at businesses and, 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 and documentation, making sure that they have a, an appropriate reading age and appropriate even things like fonts so that it's uh, people can understand and, and, and engage with the material. And I'm pleased to say that James was a member of our Chartered Transparency Forum, which developed this guidance. So, as I said, a plethora of material is available to members. We also deliver face-to-face training. And finally, I'd like to mention that ethics are embedded in our new competency framework called the Professional Map. And so that going forwards, an understanding of, of ethics will be expected from of all members as they progress through the different stages of their career. 
Excellent. Well, we'll certainly go into that guidance and resources that are available in, in more detail later, Melissa. Thank you. And and James, um, how would you reflect on what Melissa kind of spoke about then? And and also to return to your point earlier about fairer finance, calling out firms when there is kind of bad practice. Um, can you tell us a bit more about how, how that's done? Yeah, I mean, you know, we try and have a constructive relationship with the industry. So, um, you know, we describe ourselves as sort of critical friends and we work with lots of firms, you know, who pay us to help them improve. And we are not the kind of people that go in there to to tell them what they want to hear. You know, we go in there to challenge them and, and say, well, this is what we think you know, the very best looks like, and this is the road to to how you can get there. So, you know, I think, you know, where we do see bad practice, we want to try and acknowledge perhaps how how the firm got there. Um, But at the same time, you know, if we can't persuade them to change their ways by engaging with them or by highlighting in our ratings, you know, sometimes the right thing to do is to, to talk to the press about it and say, actually, we think, you know, this practice that is developing in parts of the industry just isn't the right thing. And and the solution to that may be regulatory intervention. I mean, often, you know, firms may not want to be doing a particular thing, but feel like their competitors are all doing it. And so actually they lose their competitive advantage by not doing it. Uh, and so you need a regulatory solution to that. So, you know, we're trying to kind of keep that pressure on firms to do the right thing when it's in their control and they feel they can do that. Uh, and if not, you know, bring it to the regulator's attention and um, the, the media can be a really effective way of doing that. Excellent. And Melissa, returning to you, um, in terms of CII members, I mean, um, how, as, as James said, you know, it's, it, guidance is vital. You want to work in a constructive way and you don't want it to come to the point where, you know, it, it does have to be taken to the regulator or disciplinary action does have to um, have to happen. But how does the CII address any allegations of misconduct with members and what action do they take? Yeah. So in a similar vein, the starting point is to, to, to have a constructive dialogue with your members and firms. So, uh, for instance, if we become aware of any potential breach, we will, in the first instance, contact that member uh, or firm and offer some guidance and support to try and correct any behavior which might give rise to a, a disciplinary complaint. So, for instance, if we notice someone incorrectly using their designations on LinkedIn, to cite an example that is quite common, we'll contact that member and we'll say, you know, fix that. Um, and, and that will sort out the problem. At another extreme, if we hear about a member being sanctioned by the FCA for wrongdoing, then we'll, of course, open a, a formal disciplinary complaint against them. And and the result is likely they're going to be expelled from the Institute. So, you know, there's a range of actions and pressure that can be applied. And in terms of, um, you know, making that public, if we do make a sanction against a member, we will publish that in our journal and on our website. So that will, you know, be public. And also, if there's an issue involving a member or firm uh, that we that is a regulated member or firm, then we will be in contact with the regulator about that person and we will share we have an arrangement where we share details with the regulator about our members. So there is a two-way dialogue there. And, uh, you know, the constructive approach, I think, can can solve most issues. But there are some, as James says, where you have to take up further steps. 
And James, um, Fairer Finance is also involved in policy work and responding to key consultations across the financial sector. Can you tell us some more about some of the recent work that you're uh, involved in and how it may affect insurance and, and personal finance professional firms? Yeah, well, we've been um, a big supporter of the sort of general direction of travel that the FCA has been in taking regulation, um, certainly in terms of fair value and and the consumer duty and, and that general principle that firms have to prove that they are doing the right thing rather than um, just saying they're doing the right thing. Um, so we, we've been engaging with the FCA around, you know, both of those fair value and consumer duty over the last 12 months um, quite a lot. Um, separately to that, we've been doing some work, we're doing quite a lot of work in the funeral plan market, which has just come into regulation um, for the first time. And, you know, it's sort of a bit like an insurance product. So um, sort of helping that sector raise its standards. Um, and separately to that, we are campaigning to try and raise standards for customers who are trying to close accounts when uh, a relative is bereaved. And we found quite a lot of different practices there within firms. And in, you know, in a lot of cases, it's too difficult. Customers aren't getting the money back that they should be, or rather the estates aren't. Uh, and so you know, we want to try and see some improvements there. Um, so there's a range of things that we're engaged in at the moment, and you know we're always kind of looking for areas where we can contribute constructively to the debate, and and we we do often respond to FCA papers. Going forward, we're really interested in insurance pricing and um, what actually goes into the algorithms, and you know when is it, what is it okay to include when you're determining an individual's price, and what probably is a step too far. Uh, in terms of some of that data, you know, particularly in a big data world. Uh, and there are some sort of ethic, ethical issues there, I think, which um, sort of move into the, the CII's domain. So that that's one on our radar for the year ahead. Yeah, you certainly touched on some really important topics there, as you say, vulnerable customers, um, which is something that CII and PFS are doing a lot of work around. Also, yeah, the importance of pricing. And recently, we we had the dual pricing kind of changes as well that came in in, in terms of, of insurance. James, one of the main topics that we've been covering as well is the, is the consumer duty requirements, which will come into effect next year. What kind of guidance around that have you been uh, offering firms and, and individuals? Yeah, we were quite quick to try and develop a framework to help firms assess how they're performing against the full outcomes that sit underneath the consumer duty. So, so as you know, the consumer duty is, you know, firstly governed by the overarching principle that firms need to act to deliver good outcomes for retail customers. And then underneath that is these four outcomes that the products and services one, which is really about good product governance in your organization. And, you know, certainly in the general insurance market, the product governance regime has already been imposed, but now uh, these product governance rules are sort of effectively being applied to the whole financial services market. So it's making sure you've got the right processes in place for um, approving new products, in identifying the target market, looking for um, potential issues, and, and then, you know, the right review process in place. There's the customer understanding outcome, which is making sure that all of your customers understand what they're buying from end to end. So that means all the communications are really clear and that you're communicating at the right time um, in the right medium as well. So, you know, it's particularly at those kind of pain points on a general insurance product, you know, that might be renewal of a policy or 
it might be you know on a um on a mortgage product it might be a change in in rate or whatever it might be uh, or even you know those, those more distressed situations where a customer's starting to miss payments uh then there's the customer support outcome which is about you know ensuring that there's the right mi internally to understand what's happening in the complaints you've got the right levels of customer service um and you're, you know picking up the phone and replying to customers in a timely manner um and the right ways for them to interact with you on a kind of daily basis so whether that's a platform where they can see all of their accounts and um you know make amends to their details or um, the right communications that you're sending them um and, and of course the right processes for dealing identifying and dealing with vulnerable customers baked in uh and a, and a real absence of sludge in the process as the fca puts it so you know in insurance claims you know not making people download lengthy claims forms and then send them in the post and have to wait weeks you know make it really easy to make a claim uh, and then finally the the fair value one really effectively you know price and value outcome which is are you offering fair value uh, and you know that is about helping firms assess whether or not there's a reasonable relationship between the price of the product and the and the features and benefits that it offers but also does the customer um you know understand what they might have paid for something elsewhere are they making an informed decision and saying yes you know i want to go with you because i understand the price that you charge for the services and i understand the benefits and limitations of your product and i understand what i could have paid for elsewhere but but i want to go with you because i trust you more for example or you're a, you're a, a brand that's been around a long time so, so we sort of look at all of that and try and help firms assess, are they hitting all of those milestones? Uh, you know, and it, it, it is a, a real gear change, I think, in the way the FCA is regulating firms. Like I said earlier, it's about not just, you know, satisfying yourselves that, that you think you're meeting the regulations, but actually going that step further and proving it and signing off at board level every year that you are meeting those um, so quite rightly, you know, it, it stimulated an awful lot of activity in the financial services market right now. There's a lot to do between now and next July, but I think it's a it's a good thing. Um, and if you're a firm with the right culture uh, and the right approach, then you know this will set you in good stead to, to continue to you know deliver great customer outcomes and hopefully be a successful business as you grow and go forward. Certainly. And I think that point at the end there is very key. I mean, it is a lot for firms to be aware of that, you know, you, you kind of spoke and kind of uh, gave an overview of then, but hopefully it's already embedded in the, the culture of the firm that, you know, they're serving customers in the right way. And, and you know, now it's the requirement for them to evidence that. So, yeah, hopefully it's a positive thing. Yeah, we see with a lot of firms, you know, they they have that culture. You know, they they can. We know that treating customers well is is at the centre of what we're all about. Um, but actually, you know, they haven't gone through the motions of just sort of being able to show that. And it's just making sure that you've you're aware of all your potential blind spots and you've asked all those difficult questions. Oh, there goes the doorbell. That's the part of every podcast these days, right? Uh, home recording. Um, but yeah, so I mean, ultimately, uh, I think it's it's good because if you've got a good culture, um, that there's nothing there's nothing to be scared of by the consumer duty. But it will turn up some things that you need to do to tighten up your proposition for customers. 
Fantastic. And Melissa, if we can kind of come back to you, I mean, why would you say professional standards are so important and, and up, upholding them, not just for the insurance and financial services profession as a whole, but also important to protect the public as well? Yes. Yeah, so it goes without saying, really, that the public expects a professional to uphold standards. And it's the CII's role to provide assurances to the public about the professional standards of its members. And that is enshrined in our Royal Charter. And But we've also done extensive consumer research about what members of the public expect of chartered professionals and firms. Um, and I have the, re- the results of our survey. The most recent one we conducted was in May. And we asked the public the question, why choose a chartered professional? And the top reason they gave, uh, 46% said they are associated with high professional standards. So this is really very intrinsically linked to what being a professional is all about. And also when asked the question, why would you choose a chartered firm in the same survey, um, one of the top reasons given was that a firm commits to an ethical code of conduct. So clearly, this is really important to consumers, and it's also really a, a fundamental part of our purpose as an institute. Um, but I just wanted to go back one uh, moment to some of the things that James was discussing about the the regulator, and I think there's, you know, a huge amount of material and new regulation coming out, which should as James says, be a game changer, uh, up the standards of, of, of firms in how they deal with customers. Um, and so I think it's important at this juncture to kind of point out the difference between a professional institute and a regulator. So the regulator is setting the minimum standards expected of all regulated firms and regulated individuals in that market. Um, And what the institute, a professional institute or professional body is trying to do is actually encourage uh, professionals to go beyond that, to aspire to even higher standards of behavior. But these are not always um, something that an institute is going to be mandating, but rather encouraging, cajoling, galvanizing, inspiring. Um, so it's 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 that it's it's quite a subtle, nuanced difference, but it is a difference, and it it comes out um, the the most uh, um, clear example. I think is if. Uh, customers dealing with the firm and they're very unhappy about the service they're receiving. They they want compensation for poor advice or poor service, and they feel maybe the firm has acted in breach of regulation. Then what they would want to do or need to do is go to the financial ombudsman and seek that compensation. That that's not the role of the, the, the professional institute to award compensation for poor service. However, if that poor behavior is so egregious that it really amounts to professional misconduct, then there's a scope for a complaint to be made to a professional institute about that member's behavior or conduct um, if it is amounts to a breach of, of code of ethics. But that's going to be quite a high bar. Um, and I think what you'll you'll find in most cases, it's a, a more of a complaint to the ombudsman. So I think it's something that we occasionally have to explain to members of the public, consumers. But I wanted to highlight it on the call today. 
Absolutely, yeah. It's certainly important to to note though the different roles that they they play, but also encouraging that there are these separate organisations that deal with different areas and um, that you know customers and firms can can turn to. And, and James, how would you echo that? How important in our professional standards in in building trust with customers and clients and uh, making sure they have confidence in the products they buy and the advice that they take. Well, they're absolutely crucial, aren't they? I mean, you know, the, the kind of companies that sit under the CII's membership, you know, general insurers, financial advisors, um, you know, th- these are, you know, people who are either making a promise to pay money to you, you know, when the worst happens. And so, you know, having the confidence that there are high levels of professional and high standards in those organizations is crucial to to really believing that those promises are going to be kept um you know and and financial advisors are managing your money and you know tied up in that is your kind of long-term prosperity so being able to show that you've got a high degree of professionalism and a commitment to you know stretching continuous professional development goes a long way to being able to kind of demonstrate to a customer that you know you're somebody that can be trusted and it, it feels does feel like a leap of faith you know when you go and see a financial advisor uh, or you buy an insurance product you know you are putting your trust in that person um, you know, and even if it's a recommendation from a friend or something, it's still different, you know, that it's your money now you're handing over into their control. Um, and, and I think it's it's the way that you can, you know, best prove to your customers that you are trustworthy and you are professional and that you absolutely have their interests at heart before anything else, um, you know, is by that commitment to professionalism and, and high professional standards. Excellent. And certainly in the, the current economic backdrop as well, you know, with the changes that you kind of seem to hear about and read about every day, it's more important than ever that people have have trust um, in those kind of financial products and guidance that, that they'll deliver when they need the most. Yeah, it's terrifying at the moment, isn't it? You know, I think um, a lot of people will be, you know, expecting that, that, that the panic button should be pushed, but often, you know, that the job of the financial advisor at this time is to sort of keep keep their um, clients calm and you know, let them know that that storms come and go, but that you know they'll be able to make the right decisions for them over the long term. Absolutely, and Melissa, any kind of final words from you on how important professional standards are in building trust, and and also um, what kind of advice that the CII, uh, the PFS, are giving to firms and and individuals on on upholding those standards. Well, I guess it's you can compare it what James was saying, you know, people, professional qualifications go hand in hand with trust. So that's why you wouldn't go to a surgeon who, uh, you know, undergo surgery with someone who you didn't think was professionally qualified. Likewise, would you trust your money, your life savings with someone who wasn't professionally qualified um, to do the job? So I think that's why professional standards and 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 being a a member of a professional institute is so important in this whole, um, you know, trust um, issue with the public. So I think that what what, um, we are continuing to do, continually doing, I should say, is providing that training, that CPD, that embedding it all throughout our um, uh, learning framework, uh, the importance of professional standards. And I would suggest to anyone listening on this call, 
uh, type in to Google CII Code of Ethics and you just get straight to our Code of Ethics landing page where you've got a, a, the code in full. It's five core principles. You have our practical guide. You've got our series of companion guides, which I mentioned earlier, for instance, on transparency that James uh, helped us to, to de develop and uh, lots of online materials, webinars and you know, at the end of all that, if anyone still has any questions and would like to get in touch, just contact me at melissa.collett at cii.co.uk if they have any questions. And James, um, our, our listenership is made up of firms, of advisors, um, people across insurance and also consumers. Um, where would you direct them to, for further resources or, or guidance? Yeah, well, from a consumer perspective, which I guess is, you know, one of the lenses we come at, um, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff on our website, you know, in terms of our tables. Um, we actually have a partnership with the Times newspaper where uh, they publish lots of practical guides that distill all our ratings into sort of uh, a small number of recommendations because, you know, the, the problem is the, the world of financial services is complicated. So, you know, I think... In an ideal world, we'd all have a professional advisor walking us through everything from getting a bank account to a car insurance policy. Uh, unfortunately, you know, a lot of those products now we we have to navigate on our own as consumers. So, uh, you know, if you're not sure, um, you know, do use resources like ours and Money Saving Expert and, you know, the Times Money Mentor. There's so much out there now, which is free to use uh, and is designed to help make it easy and, you know, to help you make as good a decision as possible. Um, you know, do do take those extra few minutes when you're when you're taking out a new insurance product or banking product just to sort of be sure that you're dealing with a good company um, and that you're getting the right product for yourself. And when it comes to choosing, you know, making the big decisions around your finances, like your pensions and uh, and your investments, that you are finding a good financial advisor and one that that's accredited with a chartered status, um, because you know that gives you that extra assurance that, that that you know they've got those high levels of professional standards baked into what they do. Excellent, and I'm sure listeners will find it incredibly valuable and reassuring that that, that amount of support and those resources are, are available. So, so that's fantastic. And um, all that remains is to thank you both for joining us on the podcast today. Really interesting, really insightful chat with you. Um, and thanks for speaking to us. So, uh, James and Melissa, um, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone. And thank you very much for listening to this episode of CII Radio. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at CII Group. So until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>